Welcome to the New Books Network. This is the Nordic Asia Podcast. Welcome to the Nordic Asia Podcast, a collaboration sharing expertise on Asia across the Nordic region. My name is Satoko Naito. I'm a docent at the Center for East Asian Studies at the University of Turku in Finland. I am delighted today to welcome Dr. Timo Sarka, who is a researcher in the Department of History and Ethnography at the University of Uvascula here in Finland. He specializes in global economic history with an emphasis on economic imperialism and has recently published his book, Paper and the British Empire, The Quest for Imperial Raw Materials, 1861-1960, from Brutlidge. He has very kindly joined us today to talk about technology of papermaking and its transfer from east to west. So thank you so much for joining us, Timon. Thanks very much for having me. One of the elements that make your recent book especially insightful with regards to the paper industry, especially is your focus on the British Empire rather than on single countries or specific companies. And the whole industry is so complex with intertwined issues of raw materials, technological innovation, political economy, and more. That it's really so impressive how comprehensive yet accessible your monograph is. And I realized that in your research history or your research interests, the empire or issues of imperialism came first, then paper second or perhaps third or fourth. So could you tell us how and why did you begin to focus on the paper trade? I believe I initially got interested in the history of paper by studying textile industries. Mm -hmm. As you know, fibers are the key elements in both textiles and in paper. Traditionally, economic historians have been very interested in the context of the British Empire, for example, of the Indian cotton trade with the United Kingdom. So Indian cottons really are a paradigm of the colonial trade. Cheap Indian cotton formed the basis for textile industries in the United Kingdom and was very beneficial for intercolonial context for the British industrialization. So in that context, economic historians have discussed a lot of fibers, but I started to wonder why paper, which is fundamentally about fibers, has not been discussed Mm. in the context of the empire and the colonial trade. So that was my initial question. I don't recall the exact time, but 2008, I was in the final stage of my doctoral thesis project and I had submitted my thesis already for review and mm-hmm. I started to search for my postdoctoral funding and topic. And so this topic paper in the context of the British Empire, I think that was initially the setting for my research and the latest book is kind of the final conclusion for that project. Mm-hmm. Okay, I see. Yeah, textiles and cloth, of course, is so fundamental to, if I could say, civilization. Mm. But I mean, so is paper, even more so, maybe. So thank you for explaining that. Uh, Paper making has, of course, a very long history. 
can you give us kind of very rough overview of the development of paper making technologies? Yes. So basically, there are two paper making traditions. One is Asian tradition and one is Arab tradition. And that Arab tradition of paper making is what we are more familiar with here in Europe, in East Asian countries, in Korea, in Japan, and also to some extent in India to list some of the big countries in Asia, paper making uh, Chinese origin. For example, in Japan, paper has been estimated to arrive around 610 AD with Buddhist monks. So it had religious origins. The Arab tradition, it is to some extent mythologized as well. So we don't know the exact origins of Arab paper making tradition, but Probably it came through Samarkand and spread through the Arab Empire to North Africa and came to Europe to Al-Andalus, today's Spain, at the beginning of the 14th century. So the first meal in the European soil is thought to be Xativa, nearby Valencia. So uh, the Arab tradition differs from the Asian tradition to the extent that the similar fibers and the plants, which were commonly used in East Asian countries, did not survive in the dry, arid climate of Central Asia. Mm. So the Arab paper makers invented or possibly reinvented through the Chinese the method of making paper from textile racks. And that is the tradition of rack paper making in Europe, which lasted up until mid-19th century. So before mid-19th century in Europe, paper was made to large extent, we could say, from racks only, versus in Asian countries, paper was made from plants like uh, paper mulberry tree, for example, and grasses, like to some extent, bamboo is a prominent example of Asian paper making raw materials. So the difference between the Asian tradition and the European or the Arab tradition is in raw materials. So you mentioned rags in the Arabic paper making tradition. Can you say a little more about that? Yeah. Rags of fabrics are basically fibers which Mm -hmm. are already processed. So they are already in their purest form. For example, in cotton, the fibers are very long and in a cotton cloth, it is nearly pure cellulose in itself. So it is relatively easy to reduce into paper. If you take, for example, a piece of a common paper and soak it into water, you can see how the fibers are dispersing in the water. Mm. And the solution is relatively easy to put back into a paper with a simple dense wire mesh or a mold where you can collect the fibers and try it out. And then it becomes a paper again. The same goes with textiles. So with relatively little of processing textiles, pure 
fiber textiles like cotton or linen, for example, or flax mm -hmm. can be reduced back to kind of a solution of fibers and remake into a paper if you like. Mm -hmm. But the processing of uh, plants like bamboo takes mm -hmm. lots more effort mm -hmm. and it requires much more complicated technology. So that is the reason why Arab paper makers, which didn't have the same plants, or at least they didn't have the same abundance of those plants, which, for example, Chinese or Japanese paper makers were using. So they had to reinvent the process to some extent to make a good paper. So that is the fundamental difference between the Arab and European paper making tradition and the Asian tradition, which is more involved with raw materials, so to speak. And the European or Arab tradition is more involved with refuse materials, as we call rags of fabrics, for example. Am I simplifying it by saying they're recycling the fabrics? Yeah, yeah. even today, most of paper is uh, made from paper. So paper right. is their main raw material for paper. Right. But in some countries which are very uh, rich in suitable plants, mm -hmm. situation might be different. Like here in Finland, where we have uh, suitable plants, meaning coniferous trees for making paper. We are normally using the virgin vipers, but in countries which are poor in plant or forest resources, they are usually making paper from paper. Right, right. Yeah, I'd love to ask you a little more later about this kind of um, eco-paper industry. Uh, but for now, uh, so you just mentioned you were kind of dividing the Arabic and European paper making versus the Chinese or the East Asian paper making. Mm. But does the East Asian paper making technologies and traditions then also enter, for example, the British Empire or Europe in general? Yes. Yes, that is a very uh, kind of a fundamental realization in my research when I became aware that in Europe, the British were very keen of investigating and studying the ancient Asian paper making history. And the obvious reason was that the United Kingdom and the British Isles in general is not very forest rich. Mm -hmm. So they are lacking suitable plants, which were normally used in, for example, continental Europe for making paper. In many places of continental Europe, coniferous trees can be found and used for paper making, but British Isles didn't have the raw material basis. So it was natural for them to use the materials they could supply from the colonial empire, mm -hmm. for example, India. Mm -hmm. Through that, connection they became aware of the kind of the rich paper culture which was already in place in for example in India and started to study whether it could be somehow modified for the modern needs. The Asian paper making tradition up until 19th century had made paper but in Europe, at the beginning of the 19th century, the modern technology developed in the way that paper was started to made with machines. We call mm. it Fourchnier machine, according to the inventor Henry and Celie Fourchnier, who were French brothers connected with stationary business. 
and their name is used as a kind of a generic term for paper making machine, Fournier. And at the beginning of 19th century, that machine became more and more common in European countries. And it allowed of making paper much faster, and that made also much more lower costs. But it also meant that the raw materials were needed much more larger quantities than previously had been mm-hmm. the case. And that was the driving motivation for the British cellulose and paper experts to study the Asian technologies and whether the Asian raw materials could be used in European paper making as well. I see. And this was primarily through Indian raw materials and technologies that came from China. Yes, they were mostly Indian experiences the British were using. India is, as we know, a very, very rich in various plants. And in the tropics, the speed of the growth is weaker than we right. have in temperate zones. So India was very kind of alluring from that perspective. There was a knowledge about the Chinese and Japanese paper making traditions as well. But we could say that the European perception about those traditions came very late. And the point of fact is that paper, like the bird in English and in many other European languages, is mm-hmm. derived from papyrus, the ancient writing medium of the ancient Egyptians. So it was the perception of Europeans until the Renaissance that the paper was a development of papyrus, which it is, of course, we know nowadays that it was invented in ancient China hundreds of years before that realization. But until mid-19th century, it was still, uh, if not a perception of science, it was a kind of a popular perception that paper came from Mediterranean world. But because of the globalization, the communication improved, people became more aware of the world beyond Europe. They started to realize that they have actually been ancient paper cultures in place nearly maybe two millennia in, in China, for example. So it was a kind of a widening of the perspective and kind of the intellectual development of Europe that the realization came that there have been a rich paper making traditions in place in some Asian countries for a very long time. So you talked about India and how significant it was for the British Empire in many, many ways, of course, but in the paper industry. You discussed bamboo. It's kind of ideal raw material because it does grow fast. But I understood that you've said it takes a long time for the at least the first mill using bamboo as raw material to open in India. Is that right that it's really very recent? That is connected with the modern paper making technologies. Paper making technology is very complicated and it involves a lot of various type of machines. It includes a lot of chemistry knowledge and involves, for example, cellulose expertise. So 
in a nutshell, establishing a modern paper mill with food near machines was a very expensive project. So even though there was this information that bamboo could be used in modern paper mills as a raw material, and even though there was demand also for that type of paper which could be produced from bamboo, which, as you mentioned, makes an excellent paper, Despite those kind of advantages, it was very difficult of establish a paper mill, and that includes the difficulty of finding capital for the project and the logistics as well, because paper is a bulk product already at the beginning of the 20th century. It required very large quantities to be a profitable enterprise. So really uh, establishing a paper mill was one thing, but making it in a way that it was economically viable, profitable business, it required a lot of uh, infrastructure, like I said, capital, Mm -hmm. expertise. So really it took a very long time. And we believe that it was during the First World War and shortly after that, that the first mills using bamboo as a primary raw material were established in India. Okay. And probably there were two other mills, which I uh, mentioned in my, in my book very briefly in French Indus China as well. But those projects were probably the first in the world which were trying to use bamboo as a primary raw material and using modern technology. But like I explained in my book as well, that it was a kind of a experimental phase of the industry and it involved a lot of uh, failures. It required a lot of new type of understanding of the business. And at the beginning of the 20th century, since the world was already very connected by telegraph fires, steamboats. So information communication was already fairly modern as we understand modern today. Despite those benefits, it wasn't very easy to try to reinvent and do something uh, differently as Europeans had been doing for centuries through Mm -hmm. the Arab tradition. I see. Uh, You were recently a visiting researcher at Kyoto Sangyo University. And I understand it's not your primary expertise, of course, but can you speak a little bit about Japanese paper making? Yes, thank you, Satoko. <laughs> I would love to uh, speak and learn more about the Japanese paper making tradition, which I believe is the richest paper culture that still exists today in the mm-hmm. world. And there are many reasons why Japan has managed to preserve its long paper making tradition. The obvious reason is that Japan was up until mid 19th century fairly closed economy, mm-hmm. or at least it was for many centuries. So that kind of preserved the ancient paper making tradition in Japan. Other explanations are probably that Japan is relatively rich in paper making raw materials so Mm. it didn't have to import but could use its own materials and the third explanation is probably the very large domestic markets which were in Japan and the advanced literature culture Mm. which 
created kind of a natural demand for paper in Japan. So Japanese paper making tradition kind of a survived in its own context. And even today, the washi or the Japanese paper making techniques have very similar characteristics as the ancient paper making traditions had. So by studying washi paper making today in Japan, we can understand the ancient paper making traditions by studying the raw material processing, for example, and the actual paper making process as well, the history and the appreciation of paper, which is very much a part of the Japanese culture, makes Japan a very alluring or beneficial environment for a researcher who is interested in the history of paper. There's an appreciation in the culture and in the academia as a whole for, for the history of paper. Mm. So uh, Japan, in that perspective, is very interesting environment for studying paper. Uh, the other reasons are the soil in Japan is to some extent beneficial for archaeological evidence as well. So we know, mm -hmm. for example, that the, during the Nara period, uh, the government officials were still using the wooden tablets or uh -huh. as a writing surface. So paper was about to come to Japan, but it mm -hmm. wasn't really established as the main medium of writing at the time. But the mm. subsequent Heian period, when we see obviously the advantage of culture in Japan in general, and the Heian era development allowed the paper culture to boom. Mm -hmm. So the, the commercial uses and the culture uses fairly similar as we would know them mm -hmm. today. But unfortunately, the washi paper is not suitable for machine-made paper. So okay, at the beginning of or mid 19th century, at the beginning of 1870s, Japan introduced Western paper, Yoshi, for mm -hmm. making, for example, newspapers and other end purposes, which require a large amount of very inexpensive paper. Right. So Japan has, uh, it's rich in both histories, the handmade paper and the machine-made paper. And today you can buy from normal convenience store or even a hundred yen shop, very inexpensive washi. But actually right, it yeah. is not made by hand, but mm. the business have learned to make washi imitations with machines. <laughs> so if you go to your <laughs> calligraphy class or sumie class and you're using calligraphy paper, for example, for practicing your <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's probably that you are using machine-made washi rather than the original genuine washi. I see. Thank you for indulging me. I, um, I know this is, of course, far from your primary research area, but I'm very personally interested in washi. Thank you for that. And I wanted to ask if you can address the issue of sustainability and ecological responsibility, um, it's such a big issue, but since you have talked about pulp and paper, the, the industries mm -hmm. have been, if not the greatest, well, one of the greatest polluters of recent years of the 20th century. But as I understand it, 
from your work, it, it is changing. Uh, if you could tell us how the papermaking industries in different regions or as a whole has dealt with these problems, I would love to learn more about that. That is a very important question, and sustainability is really one of the key concepts for understanding global businesses today. Mm. And I think paper and pulp industry, we usually combine the two paper and pulp because paper and pulp are usually made in integrated mills. So it is good to emphasize that it is both paper and pulp industry, which we are mm. dealing with today. But sustainability is a kind of a topic that probably has entered paper and pulp industry, we could fairly say, uh, fairly late. Uh, mm. We saw back in 1980s or even slightly before that, for example, in Germany, kind of a Together with the green movement, uh, the consumers started to question the sustainability of the paper. For example, using very glossy magazine paper, which mm. obviously involves a lot of various chemicals. And really, the biggest question is that how sustainable it is used the virgin forest resources for mm. making so uh, low-cost product like paper. Mm. So paper, if we take, example, newspaper, and we read it maybe once, and then we recycle it, the question is raised whether that is sustainable way of using, for example, conifers that we have here in northern hemisphere which grow maybe 50 60 or 80 years before they are ready to be harvested is that a sustainable way of using those resources for example for a newspaper which is mm -hmm. read once mm -hmm. so even though that paper luckily is nowadays with a high percentage recycled to make a new paper product, probably a packing material, for example. It's still the question of how sustainable the industry is from a global perspective. And various answers have been come up with that kind of a challenge of sustainability. One mm -hmm. is to use secondary forests instead of virgin forests, so planted forests for making paper. That development started about a hundred years ago. The first eucalyptus forest, planted forests, were believed to be Portuguese. So in Portugal, they started to use Australian eucalyptus species for making paper. The soil and the climate of certain parts of Portugal was very beneficial for that kind of an exotic plant for making paper. So that is one solution to use secondary forests instead of virgin forests. Other examples I could mention is to boost the recycle rate of the waste paper. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this talk, Paper is today the main raw material for making paper. So that is the one address for that question. And the third, which is very industry oriented, is to develop the paper making process itself more sustainable. That means reducing the energy resources which are mm. used for making paper, for example. Reduce the use of chemicals by recovering the chemicals which are used in the process and reuse them in the second phase of the process, for example, or by um, trying to 
come up with products which would be more sustainable than, mm. for example, newsprint is. For example, mm. textiles, which we hopefully use a bit more longer than yeah. just once. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. developing the fibers in the way that they could be used for textiles. And that is here in Finland, what some of the companies are now doing. They are investigating whether the plants which we are using in Finland for making paper could be actually used for making textiles so that the product itself would be more of high value Mm. and it would probably encourage the customers of using it a bit more sustainable. Right. I wonder about the masks, at least parts of the machinery, if not the chemical properties, they must have some overlap in the paper making and the mask making process. Now, of course, in the situation that we're in, I'm sure there are innovators out there. <laughs> yeah, usually in what we can learn from history that the crises are kind of a periods of time when people are more innovative, right. if you right. like. Yeah. So it's natural that the crisis and hopefully this crisis as well will have some positive outcomes in terms of new innovations. So masks are a great example. They are used in vast quantities and they are very uh, disposable products. You are encouraged to use them only once. Those kind of uh, applications the industry is searching at the moment Mm -hmm. in order to make the product more sustainable. Right. As the industry doesn't believe, of course, that the outcome, that the digitalization, that we can read everything online and Mm -hmm. there is no need for printed media anymore. The industry doesn't believe in that. And I don't believe that either. Personally, I still want to feel the paper, whether I'm writing or reading or using for packaging. It's not really a same if you only use the digital mm-hmm. of our product but that's my personal opinion so mm-hmm. <laughs> i think that still in the future we will see a lot of new innovations which is very exciting to me because knowing that paper has such a long long history mm-hmm. whether we can as a humans whether we can still reinvent the product in some way that would be more sustainable for the whole planet earth in itself i love how this is we're ending on a hopeful note thank you so much timo for your time i really hope that you will be able to sooner than later go off to osaka university for your visiting professorship and thank you very much for your time today it was really very fascinating thank you satoko for having me and it was a great (laughs) opportunity for me to talk about paper which i love My name is Satoko Naito from University of Turku, and we were joined by Dr. Timo Sarka of the University of Uvascula. And thank you for joining the Nordic Asia podcast, showcasing Nordic collaboration in studying Asia. Thanks again. You have been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast.